in the fifth chapter of Revelation, the Apostle John is told, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed. And as Kurt was saying, imagine yourself to look upon the Lord. John was told to weep not. Behold, the lion and his victory. Look upon this evening, brothers and sisters, I just hope that we can, in our spirit, behold, and as to look at something, maybe move closer to it to see it even better, that we would let everything pass away. Weep not all the concerns of the world and this night among all nights that we would look upon the Lord Jesus Christ. So Father, we pray that in this gathering that you would pour your spirit on, out on us and in our spirits we would be able to behold the Lord Jesus Christ in a new way, in an exciting way that we would leave from here with even more ability to shine your light, your candlesticks and that what did they say when they saw John and Peter after they had healed people at the temple? They didn't know what to do with them. But the one thing they knew, they had been with Jesus. So this evening, we will be with you, Lord Jesus. So uh, what happens here? Does this do stuff? I do that. Oh, make a push buttons. There you go. Okay. Uh, Kurt, I've, on Saturday mornings I'll be going up to speak for I've done the men's breakfast a couple times and he'll, he'll say, uh, introduce yourself and so uh, I guess I just start talking and don't introduce myself my name is John Vandergren and uh, I'm honored to serve as an elder here but more in the spirit of how Paul was talking to the uh, church in Corinth for I am determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified and this evening, that we would be in that spirit, that it all begins and ends with Jesus Christ and him crucified. There really isn't anything else to talk about, for we are death. We are just dust without him. So we're going to start with talking about the Roman crucifixion, what it was. It was a thing. Um, why would we want to talk about the Roman crucifixion? Well, obviously, our Lord was crucified, and we run after him. We seek him, anything and everything. I want to know more about Nazareth. Why? Because he was from there. I want to know more about Bethlehem. Why? Because he was born. And I want to know more about the crucifixion because he endured it. And in this circle here on the map here, uh, this is a major battle that Rome had with Parthia. So we're going to have a little backdrop of, of, of the Holy Lands in the first century. And if you look down from the circle, Jerusalem is just down a little bit to the left. The Holy Lands, the place wherein Jesus walked, this was the Roman frontier. To their east was, was the empire of Parthia. And as you read the Gospels and the Acts, the Roman soldier's presence and the centurions is, is prominent. Why? Because the Roman presence in the Holy Lands was prominent because this was their frontier. This was the Roman Empire's frontier. And crucifixion, like in the modern age, maybe capital punishment is, 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 is administered with, you know, quick and painless or these types of things. That's not what the Romans were doing. This was, this was about brutality, horror, and on display. They wouldn't take the accused down into a dungeon or in behind closed doors out on display, take their dignity from them. And this is part of what the Romans were facing, and, and it kind of gives the sense of why the Romans were so drastic 
They needed to keep control of their eastern flank. They needed to make sure that anyone who thought about insurrection might remember what they do to people. And so this is the backdrop of crucifixion. The, the Parthian Empire, that red circle, this is the Battle of Carhe. And in the Battle of Carhe in 53 BC, six, seven decades before our Lord, very recent history of the first century, one of the greatest catastrophes in all of Roman history, the commander Marcus Licinius Crassus was killed as well as 20,000 soldiers. 10,000 soldiers were captured, only about 5,000 escaped. An entire army was destroyed. This is what the Romans were facing just beyond the Holy Lands. And this is, may explain or give the backdrop of why the Romans were so brutal. And um, the Holy Lands are the eastern frontier of the Roman Empire in the first century. This is the wrong, this is the wrong. Anyway, uh, so far so good. I don't know if I changed anything else. Let's look a little more at crucifixion. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath day was an high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and break the legs of the first and of the other which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. What is going on here? Well, the Jews do not crucify people, but they've been around enough to know how the Romans do it. And crucifixions could go on for days. This horror. People could last up there for days. But what would accelerate and end the situation is they would come up and break their legs. And the Jews know that. And that's why they come to Pilate. Hey, break their legs. Let's wrap this up. They don't just crack their bones. They shatter their legs. They're no longer able to support themselves by their legs. And between the trauma of that and now hanging, I guess human physiology, when you hang from your arms, your chest cavity will compress a little bit and you will need to raise yourself just a little bit to breathe. And it won't take long before you'll die of suffocation through exhaustion. And this was what the Romans considered mercy for the condemned during crucifixion. This horror, this most brutal of deaths, Jesus stepped straight towards it. As you read the gospel accounts, he was unstoppable heading for this crucifixion. And Hebrews 12 Two tells us that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. There was a joy before him, and he went straight for this. I like to think that somehow in attorney, he saw all of his chosen. He saw all of us, brothers and sisters. And when he looked at each and every one of us, there was no choice for him. The joy that, was his, that he perceived, that it, the joy that we brought to him, he stepped forward and faced this horror. And this horror... It's the backdrop of Psalm 22. They don't mention the crucifixion in Psalm 22, but I think as we read through Psalm 22, I think you're going to realize they're speaking of a crucifixion. They're speaking of this righteous one, and he's enduring a crucifixion. Let us remember Psalm 22 is a psalm of David. Therefore, it is dated to about a thousand years before our Lord. The Romans, they, they think the Romans got crucifixion from the Persians. The Persians weren't an empire for hundreds of years after this song was written. So they're singing about a backdrop of crucifixion before crucifixion is even a thing. 
which is astonishing. Let's read it here. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou, why art thou so far from helping me? And from the words of my roaring, oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee, and were delivered. They trusted in thee, and were not confounded. But I am a worm, and no man, a reproach of men, and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head saying, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him. I want to pause right there. We're going to read the John account, but if you read some of the other accounts, they were singing these words for a thousand years that this would happen to this person. He trusted on the Lord. Let him deliver him. He delighted in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb, and thou didst make me hope when I was upon thy mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as ravening and roaring lion. As a ravening and roaring lion, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. He's thirsty. They were singing for a thousand years that he would be thirsty. And thou hast brought me to the dust. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them. They cast lots upon my vesture. Be not far from me. O Lord, O my strength, haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling, from the power of the... It goes on. But what I wanted to do is skip to verse 31 because verse 31 has astonished me all week. I have just been stuck right here. Verse 31 tells you what the first 30 verses were talking about. They're telling you what we've been singing about here. We're going to close with verse 31. They shall come and should declare his righteousness. Whose righteousness? The one that we have been singing about. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto people that shall be born, that he hath done this. And here we have a prophecy within a prophecy. They're prophesying of one that will come and his righteousness will be declared unto people that won't have been born at that time. Brothers and sisters, we're right there. We are in Psalm 22. We were not born at that time. And his, and his righteousness has been declared unto us. And as we declare his righteousness unto another, that person now is within Psalm 22. The great scroll of Isaiah, the great Isaiah scroll, I always say that backwards. I just want to hit this. Uh, it's so astonishing to me, and I, it's, I'm sure it's review for everyone. But this is part of the Dead Sea Scrolls. We've probably all heard that. This scroll is 24 feet in length, so I don't know. It would, it would stretch across the wall, probably. Uh, it, when was it, Jesus was in Nazareth, and he was handled the scroll of Isaiah. He would have been handed something very similar to this, and it would be on two rolls, and you can move through the entire book of Isaiah. This actually is a replica. It's an exact replica of the thing that they found. The thing that they found is so valuable, some would argue that it is mankind's most valued possession. 
uh, they can't display it. It was discovered in 1947. My dad was born in 1946. This essentially is for us. It's been around for a generation or two. It was found with the Dead Sea Scrolls. It was found with 20 additional copies of the book of Isaiah, along with every book of the Old Testament, save Ezra. But the Psalms were in there, and we just did the Psalm. The book of Ezra was also referenced, though, by other documents, so they had that one, too. It was dated to, here we go, 125 B.C. That document sat in a jar for more than 100 years before Jesus was even here. And then it sat in the jar for 2,000 years so that we can have it and know without any doubt that all these prophecies were... were Because uh, it's a long time, 2,000 years, to go back. And there can be doubts about where these documents came from. Maybe some of these are dated from 400. Someone made it a no. This document is dated more than a century before. Anyway, Isaiah, here we go. I just, sorry, I wanted to, I wanted to do the little Isaiah thing, scroll. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. We should all be as bold as Isaiah when it comes to being on mission for the Lord. But I think we're about to see being on mission for the Lord can be difficult. So here's his mission. And he said, go and tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not. And see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat and make their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and convert and be healed. Then said I, Lord, how long? I think we get the sense that Isaiah's, what? How long would I have to do that one? How long is this going to go on? And he answered, until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate, which did happen after his lifetime. But, but here's where we're going. Takes me a while. We're going for Isaiah 53, and I'm sure it's review, but we're going to go through it. Isaiah 53. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Does this not sound like someone whose mission is to tell wonderful prophecies to a people who are not listening? Is anybody going to listen to this one? Is anyone hearing the beautiful work of the Lord? Is his strength pre presented to any of you? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form, no comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised. We esteemed him not. So rhetorical question, does it comfort anyone here? Of course it does. That your Lord and Savior, when he was here, was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He knows where you're at. He has... And you might be able to argue, well, yeah, he's been through more than you have. Uh, but look at Matthew chapter 26 and verse 23. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father, and he shall presently give me more than 12 legions of angels? On the low end, 12 legions of angels with the Roman backdrop of the first century would have been 60,000 angels. On the high end, that would have been more than 80,000. 
angels. <clears throat> when King Sennacherib came up against King Hezekiah and surrounded Jerusalem, King Hezekiah prayed, and Isaiah came to King Hezekiah and said, because you prayed, the Lord is going to save us. And in the night, from the text, as I understand it, one angel came and struck down 185,000 of, of the king of Assyria's soldiers. This was one angel protecting these people of Jerusalem who don't even listen when Isaiah is telling them what to do. Imagine this one angel, let alone 80,000, who've been called down to answer a request of the Holy One, the only beloved of the Father in whom he's well pleased. I think the angels might have had at least as much zeal as that. And I think in some sense we could consider that if Jesus would have called on the angels, that might have been the end of human history. Surely he hath borne our griefs. So we keep going here. Uh, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we have gone astray, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. This is 700 years before Jesus comes. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is done, dumb. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison. It was prophesied that the Messiah would be put in prison. That's stunning right there. <clears throat> he was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall deliver his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and, it, and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. It had pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear the, their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bare the sin of many. And he made intercession for the transgressors. So we're getting to the crucifixion account. I know. I know but we're getting there. But we're going to stop at John 17. And, and brothers and sisters, I, I want to ask that maybe you consider this weekend of all weekends. Take John 17 and, and spend some time with it. This entire chapter. This entire chapter is Jesus praying. He's this close to the cross. It is, it's, it's all over by chapter 19. And he's praying for an entire chapter. And you want to know this prayer because, and for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on them through their word. 
He prayed for us. Brothers and sisters, you were prayed for by the glory of the universe, the word of creation. This entire, and so you'll need to spend time with the chapter to understand the prayer he had for you. But you were right there. He's going to the cross and you're on his mind. And the crucifixion. John chapter 18, starting at verse 28. Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment, and it was early. And they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out to them and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? And they said unto him, If he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him unto thee. The reason I say it like that is because watch how serious this gets. But this, this is almost a flippant exchange that they have. Ah, do, 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 do your thing. Then said Pilate unto them, Take ye him and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore, the Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death. Oh, all of a sudden we've gone up. Oh, wait, what? We're doing, this isn't uh, a spanking here? What, what's going on? That the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spake, signifying what death he would die. Jesus, Jesus prophesied that he would be crucified. So he had to die at the hands of the Romans. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Say, sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants, then would my servants fight, that I should not be delivered unto the Jews, delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto them, said unto him, Art thou a king? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end I was born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Every one that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews, and saith unto them, I find, no fault, I find in him no fault at all. But ye have a custom that I should release unto you one at the Passover. Will you therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? Then cried they all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers plated a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put, they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went forth again and said unto them, Behold, I bring, forth, I bring him forth to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth, wearing the crown. Wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. When the chief priests, therefore, and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, 
we have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid, and went again into the judgment hall, and saith unto Jesus, Whence art thou? Jesus gave him no answer. And saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have the power to crucify thee and have the power to release thee? Jesus answered him, Thou canst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. And from thenceforth Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. This has turned into a threatening situation. They're going to use their back channels to get a hold of Caesar, and this is not an idle threat. The Jews can get a message to Caesar, and Pilate is now under real threat. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but the Hebrews, Gabbatha. And it was the preparation of the Passover at about the sixth hour. And he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king, but they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto him, unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him. And two other with him on either side one, and Jesus in the midst. Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh unto the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. And Jesus said to the chief, oh, I'm sorry, then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. They said, Therefore among themselves, Let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, they parted my raiment among them. And from my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleophas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Mother, behold thy son. Then he saith unto the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the bodies should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was an high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be carried away. 
Then came the soldiers and break the legs of the first and of the one and of the other which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. And he that saw it bear record, and his record is true, and he knoweth that he saith true, that you might believe. For these things were done, that the scripture should be fulfilled, a bone of him shall not be broken. And again, another scripture saith, they shall look upon him whom they pierced. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave. He came therefore and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus, which, was at, which at the first came to Jesus by night, and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. Then took they the body of Jesus, and wound it in linen clothes, with the spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where they crucified, in the place where, they cru where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new sepulcher, wherein was never man yet laid. There laid they, Jesus, therefore, because the Jews, because of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. Amen. 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 I wanted to skip to John 20 in closing here. Jesus is fully glorified. He has all power and authority. He has appeared to the disciples, but Thomas wasn't there. But Thomas, one of the disciples called Didymus, was not, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. He said unto them, Except I shall see in his hand the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. <clears throat> and after eight days, again his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. And saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side. Be not faithless, but believe me. And Thomas answered him, and said, My Lord and my God. Jesus said, to him, Thomas, because you have seen, you believed. Because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet believe. Here we are again, brothers and sisters. The whole time Jesus is going through this, he didn't forget about us at all. And he says, brothers and sisters, you're blessed. 
Maybe some of you aren't feeling blessed tonight. Maybe the world has moved against you. Maybe someone has done something to you. There's financial problems. There are health issues. But you wanted to come tonight. You wanted to worship your Lord and Savior. And you wanted to hear scriptures read over you. Why? Because you believed. Because you have believed, you're blessed. And it's not me saying that you're blessed. It's recorded that the Jesus Christ said that you're blessed. And he doesn't just speak the truth. He is the truth. So Father, we thank you that you sent your son. And that he is so, I mean, the words, perfect. That he would carry us the entire time through this. That never forget us. Prayed for us. Declared that we're blessed. So this evening, we thank you that we were able to spend some time to behold the Lion of Judah, the Root of David, and that he hath prevailed. So we just stand in his victory. We pray that you would continue to bless us as we go out from here. In Jesus' name. Importance of remembering. He says, Do this and remember to me. It's strange how quickly we as humans can forget. We get busy, we get preoccupied, we get stressed, we begin to forget what the Lord has done for us. Whatever it is, taking whenever we do it, taking communion centers us back on the cross and it helps us to remember. Remember that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for you and for me. So let's go ahead and stand up. We're gonna have Jason and Dana come on up. We're gonna do uh, old school style of communion. We're gonna try this in a tight room. I understand it's tight. But we're gonna go up front, and whenever you feel led, you're just gonna come and receive communion. So we're gonna sing together, and when you feel led, just come up and receive communion. You can come up in pairs, you can come up as family, whatever that looks like, you can go by yourself. I'm gonna read this to you, Luke 22, 14 through 19. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's sing together. When you feel called or ready, you can come up and receive me. Watching 
Yeah. 